0: a series that we're calling Therefore Everyone, and we're working our way through the New Testament book of Romans, a letter that Paul wrote to the Christians in Rome, and this morning we're going to continue in that series by looking at a few verses toward the end of Romans 8. And while you're turning there, I need to give you a little bit of a disclaimer right at the beginning. I knew for about a month now that this past week was going to be kind of a nightmare week for me, So what I did is I planned this message the week before, which means I planned this message and began this message the last week of January. And I have to tell you, I was really proud of myself. I don't usually uh, prepare too far ahead because whatever I'm thinking about, I talk about. So if I prepare too far ahead, whatever I worked on that week, that's what I'm going to tell you all. And so it was kind of hard, but I was working my way through it. And for one reason or another, the thoughts were coming. My fingers were flying on the keyboard. Everything was working great. And Monday morning of the last week of January, in a matter of about three hours, I had 17 pages of material related to this message. I went to a meeting feeling very smug and proud. I came back from the meeting, opened it up, because I had a couple other thoughts when I opened it up, and my computer said, that file cannot be found. <laughs> so I looked in the folder, and I could see the title. What do you mean it can't be found? It's right there, I click on it, file cannot be found. So I call IT, because that's what you do when you're in trouble, and they said, uh, well, Charles, it has autosave. I know it has autosave. Did you save it? Yes, I saved it. We'll be down. See, they don't trust me. We'll be down. <laughs> they come down a few minutes later. He looks at the machine. He says, I can't find it either. Well, he kind of says, I'll go upstairs, look on the network. It's got to be on the network somewhere. Great. So I'm feeling kind of good at that point. Later that day, go to lunch, come back and I get a message from Bob. We can't find that file. That file disappeared. It is somewhere in this universe on some internet file somewhere maybe in Japan or somewhere. That mess. And so I just need to tell you guys, that was really a good sermon, by the way. <laughs> this one you're about to get, not so much, but that was a really good one. Now to show you how kind and compassionate the people at Calvary Church are, after the first service, when I said that, somebody said, you know, Charles, you should save your work as you do it. I save my work, I'm not an idiot, all right? It's, I, I can show you the file name, it's there. Somebody else said, use Google Docs, not Word. I have a hard enough time with Word, let alone Google Docs. Uh, Anyway, that file's gone, and since I'm short on material, I'll just keep telling stories for the next 30 minutes, and then we'll go. Now, here's the really ironic thing. Do you know what passage I was working on? No joke. Here's the verse that those 17 pages were on. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose." When I thought that was lost, I wasn't thinking that. When I knew that was lost, I wasn't thinking that. But I must admit, after I began to think, so what was I writing about? I kind of smiled. It didn't make the pages reappear, but it did kind of help my perspective a little bit. So what are we talking about today? We're talking about joy in the journey. So if you have your Bibles. I'm going to do what we need to do. I'm not only going to read that verse, because you see that verse begins with a conjunction, and end. Therefore, it starts somewhere earlier. We're going to look back at verse 26. I'm going to read verses 26 through 30. And in the middle of that passage, you're going to find that verse that you not only need to memorize, we need to figure out exactly what it means, because that really will give us joy in the journey. So here we go. Verse 26. In the same way, Paul writes, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. to be conformed to the image of his Son, that we might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. All those verses hang together. Well, how do we get joy in the journey? That's kind of the question we're gonna ask. But before we get there, why do we need joy in the journey? Because life is full of troubles, trials, and tribulations. We talked about that last week, right? In fact, remember the verse that we played with last week that I took all the other words out? Here it is. It goes something like this. What do we experience presently? Sufferings, frustration, decay, pain, and weakness. They are the required courses of life. Nobody escapes that. So in that context, Paul says, we can still have joy in the journey. We can still have it. In fact, Paul does not say life will be without suffering, without pain, without frustration, without decay. He assumes all that stuff is there. We can still have joy in the journey. So let me ask you, before we get to how we can have joy, let me ask, when you experience troubles, trials, tribulations, since they're the required courses, how do you respond? Primarily, there are two ways. There's kind of the external way, the explosion way, you choose a target or create a target, you blame the target, and then let the target have it. You know what I'm talking about, right? You need someone to blame, something, somebody else caused this, therefore you let them have it so they can experience the pain that you're experiencing. You don't believe me? Just watch television for an hour at any given time and tell me how many commercials you receive for lawyers. Why is that? Well, because personal injury, if something happens to you that you really don't want to have, it's somebody's fault. And since it's somebody's fault, you need to sue them to teach them a lesson, right? Well, see, the mindset is create a target, choose a target, and let them have it because there's a cause for your troubles, trials, and tribulations. It obviously can't be you, so choose the target, create the target, and let them have it. Uh, I, I read a story a couple weeks ago that kind of reminded me of that. There was a man uh, walking home from work. He lived in a city. And as he was walking home, all of a sudden, he heard this barking and growling behind him turn around, and he got bit by a dog. And he looked down and the dog was foaming at the mouth. And that isn't a very good sign. So he ran off to urgent care. And the urgent care kind of ran the test. And the doctor came back and said, well, sorry to t- tell you, sir, you have rabies. So the man with the rabies says, doctor, can I have a pen and paper? Takes a pen and paper, he starts to write. Well, the doctor's getting all nervous. Now, he thinks the guy's writing his will. And the doctor says, hey, sir, wait a minute. We have a cure for this thing, right? You're not going to die. He said, oh, I know, I know. I'm making a list of people I'm going to bite before the cure takes over. (laughs) Okay, that's kind of that external explosion thing, right? Somebody's got to pay. He's not going to bite the dog, but here are some people in his life that have wronged him. He's going to go after them. The other normal response is not external, it's internal. So what do we do? bad stuff happens, we throw ourselves a pity party. We feel bad for ourselves, and we let everybody else know how bad life is for us. And we're underneath the weight of it, and we're struggling, and we're trying, and we become martyrs in our mind, and nobody wants to be around us because we're so miserable. Yeah, but the Bible would say, Paul's telling us here, don't externally explode. Don't internally throw a pity party. We can have joy in the journey. And Paul gives us four reasons in these verses that we read. The first reason, uh, you may not have noticed because I only read half of it. But the first reason is our advocates, plural, are praying for us. Now remember a couple weeks ago we defined advocate as someone who stands in our place and speaks in our place. And do you know right in this section at the end of Romans 8, where Paul's giving us assurance, assurance for eternity, assurance for today, and how we can have joy in the journey. He says, your advocates are praying for you. Look at verse at the next verse on the screen, and you can find it in, the, in verse 26. Notice what Paul writes. This is the first verse I read. In the same way, the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. So be honest. Do you ever come to the point in your life, you're facing this, facing that, and you don't have a clue how you should pray or want to pray, you ever reach that point? Do you ever reach a point in your life where you don't feel like praying and you don't want to pray? Maybe you're blaming God, you don't feel like praying, you don't know what to pray, Here's the good news that Paul tells us. When you've reached the end of yourself, the Spirit begins to pray. Think about that. The third member of the Trinity is praying for you, praying for me. Jump down to verse 36, I think it is. 34, I'm sorry. And here, our second, our first advocate, that's the second advocate. Here's, here's our first advocate. Christ Jesus is at the right hand of God and he is also interceding for us. It says it right here. The passage on joy in the journey is bookended by the Spirit praying for us. He's speaking in our place. And here's Jesus standing at the right hand of his Father in heaven. And he's interceding and praying for us. I don't know about you. God, it gives you joy in the journey to know. Two members of the Trinity are praying to the third member of the Trinity about you and interceding for you. I was reminded this week of, uh, of my grandfather. My grandparents, my whole life knowing them, they lived in Ventnor, New Jersey, in between Atlantic City and Ocean City. And uh, I liked the beach, so I would go visit them when I was little. I still like the beach, but they sold their house, so I can't go there anymore. I would go, and so I would go. My brother and sister, they didn't want to stay with them, but I would go and I'd stay alone. And my grandmother and I, we'd stay up late, and we'd kind of watch TV, but every night, every night, after my grandfather had his large bowl of ice cream, he would go from the kitchen, say goodnight to everybody, walk into his bedroom, and every night that I was ever there, he would get on his knees beside his bed, and he would pray. And my grandmother would then say, he's probably down, go get him. And I'd race through the living room, past the TV, and I'd jump on his back and I would interrupt his prayer. See, I've been spiritual a long time. (laughs) (laughs) And usually at some point when I was there, I would say, uh, so Pop, what what do you pray for every night? Say, I pray for you, Charles. I pray for your parents. I pray for my other grandkids. I pray for my wife. And I pray for what God's doing in the world. You've got to remember... When he was praying all those prayers, Charles wasn't going to church. And Charles didn't go to church for a long time after that. Neither did most of my other cousins. And I often think back on that. You know, our family is probably in the place it's in today. It's not a perfect place, but it's probably in the place that we are today. Because for decades, every night, my grandfather would pray for us. But you know what gives me a whole lot more comfort than that? God the Son... And God, the Spirit, are praying for me right now. And they're praying for you too. And I don't know about you, but when you face troubles, trials, and tribulations, if you know your grandfather's praying for you, it makes a difference, right? If you know Jesus is praying for you and the Holy Spirit's praying for you, that should make a big difference for you. And it can give you a little joy in the journey, even though hard times are still hard times. And troubles, trials, and tribulations really do hurt. Our advocates are praying for us, even today. But that's not the only reason we can have joy in the journey. The second reason is that our bad things turn out for good. Our bad things turn out for good. So if you look at verse 28, here's the verse I kept thinking about when I lost those 17 pay. I still took off about that, by the way. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. Now, here's the problem with really familiar verses. The problem with really familiar verses is we think we understand them because they're familiar. I'd be willing to bet most of us in this room do not understand what that verse really means. So let me tell you what I think a lot of people think it means, and then I'll prove to you that that's not what it means. Many Christians explicitly teach and most Christians implicitly believe that if they follow Jesus closely, they will have fewer bad things happen to them. Isn't that right? And you may say, what's the problem with that? Let me say it again. Many Christians explicitly teach and most Christians implicitly believe That if we love God and we're following Jesus and we're continuing what Jesus says and we go to church that fewer bad things will happen to us the Bible nowhere teaches that that's not what it says in fact what does the verse say here's what it says all things happen to all people now what it says all things in all things. it doesn't say and God will protect you from the really bad things that's not what it says all things happen to all people Followers of Jesus experience really, really bad things that happen, and they're not really good things. They're bad things, and we experience bad things just like everybody else experiences bad things. Troubles, trials, tribulations, the required courses of life, all things happen to all people. In fact, at the end of the chapter, just look at some of the stuff that Paul says the Christians are going to experience. Here we go. Check out verse 35. Now, he's writing to Christians, right? What what shall separate us from the love of God? So here's a list of what they're going to experience. Trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, and sword. Sword means they're killing you. That's what they're going to experience. I would say they're bad things. Like, I'm just guessing, right? How about if you jump further down? How about this? Life or death, angels, demons, anything in the present or the future, any power... What, what's Paul saying? All things happen to all people. And if you and I live with the myth that if we follow Jesus more closely, we'll be protected from lots of bad stuff. No, 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 no. That's not what it says. All things happen to all people. That's what it says. They're really people that follow closely after God. They get cancer. Kids that love Jesus are in accidents and die. I went to three funerals this week of people that I knew pretty well. Nan Nace, Bob Vinoy, and Dennis Walker's. You know what? They're bad things. When Jesus went to the tomb of Lazarus, he was angry when he went to the tomb, because that's not what God originally intended. All things happen to all people. So when good things happen, it's always God's grace bad all things happen to all people and when good things happen and good things that we have lots of good things in our lives those good things do not come because we deserved it we've earned it we've merited it we've been good little boys and girls no no no. when good things happen it's God's grace so here are some good things that come from God's grace whatever amount of health you're experiencing this morning and you may say well I don't have much help well whatever amount you're experiencing. Is because of God's grace, not because you're really well disciplined, eat well, and exercise a lot. If somebody loves you and cares about you, that's a gift from God's grace. If your kids came home safe last night, that's God's grace. If your grandkids were born healthy, that's God's grace. If your parents are still with you, that's God's grace. If you have a job that allows you to pay the bills, that's God's grace. If you have friendships and you can laugh when you go out with people, that's God's grace. And the good news is that God works our bad things out for good, and God gives us lots of good things, but those good things always come because of God's grace. Just think about it soberly, right? All of those good things that happened in your life, none of it was because of you. Did you choose your parents? Did you choose the country you would be born in? Did you have anything to do with your IQ or your emotional intelligence? Your network of relationships that gave you the position, the relationship, the influence, and all that? Yeah, we didn't. God graciously gives us all that stuff. So even the bad stuff, He works out for good. And he brings us lots of good things, but the good things have a direct line to grace the bad things God's going to work out and use them for our good. And One other thing I want to say about that, it's God who works those things out for good. Notice Paul does not say, the bad things are really good things. No, they're not. Bad things are bad things. God's going to work the bad things out for good, but the bad things aren't good things in disguise. That's not what he says. God works them out for good. And notice there's even the group that he's working them out for the good. For those who love him and have been called according to his purpose, God takes the bad things that come because of rebellion and alienation and the good things that come by his grace, and he's working them out for our good, but not for everybody's good. For those that love God and are seeking to follow him one day, not this week maybe, not this month, not this next year, but one day they all work out for the good. Now, here's the problem in taking verses out of their context. I know that probably a whole bunch of you in this room have memorized 828. And just do with the, how many of you memorized or could basically paraphrase that verse? All right, good. Now, here's my guess. Most of you that have memorized Romans 8.28 have not memorized 29 through 30, which really shows how wretched you are. Because if you take 28 away from 29 and 30, I'd be willing to bet you're going to misunderstand 28. And I'll just ask you a question to show what I mean. What is the good that God's working all things for? See what it says? And we know that in all things God works for the good. See, if we look at 28 apart from 29 and 30, you, you think you get to define the good. So we come up with things like this. If you didn't get into the college you wanted, God has a better college for you to go to. You've heard nonsense like that? How about this one? The guy or girl you really wanted to marry doesn't want to marry you. God has somebody better for you. You've heard that, right? Nonsense. (laughs) You didn't get the job that you wanted. God has a better job for you. Maybe. You didn't get the promotion that you earned and deserved. God has a better, bigger bonus and promotion in the future. Yeah, maybe, but that's not in this verse. You see, when we get to define the good, we define the good usually in terms of circumstance, pleasure, and comfort. Right? Well, let me tell you the truth. There are some followers of Jesus that didn't get into the college of their choice. And they never got into any college. And there are some Christians that follow a lot more closely than you do and I do. And they fell in love and the person they loved didn't want to marry them. And they're single today. There are some people that love God and have been called according to his purpose And they didn't get the job. And they're unemployed today. And they don't have a job. And there are married couples that prayed that God would give them a child. And they're childless today. Where do you think God says to you, why don't you define the good that I'm going to work all things out for? God doesn't give us the pen and the paper and say, why don't you tell me what's good for you, and that's what I'll do. I'll treat your script as my marching orders. You write down what you think is good, and I will work the bad things and the good things in your life to get to that destination. God never says that. He doesn't give us the steering wheel and ask us to drive this car. He says, no, 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 I drive. I'll take you at a destination that if you knew as much as I knew, you would want that destination. But I'll drive. You sit there, enjoy the ride, and have joy in the journey. Well, what is the good? Well, verse 29 tells us the good. Here's the good. Our good things last forever, but what is the good? Here it is. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that we might be the first that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Now, I know. Some of you are still stuck back on the predestined word. I know. I don't like that Charles. Okay, here's what I got to say. I'm going to treat you like adults for the next couple of minutes. Only for the next couple of minutes. We'll be kids again in a few minutes, okay? But I, let me and here's what I mean by adults. Let's respect Paul enough to let Paul tell us what he's saying, rather than take your little demented understanding of the words and import it into what Paul's saying. I know that you have problems with predestination. I know there are tensions there. And Paul talks about them elsewhere. This is crystal clear. And notice when Paul says he foreknew and he predestined, he's giving us those words as a comfort. He's not trying to tick us off and get us worried running down rabbit trails. Let Paul say what he's saying. So here's what he says. This is the good. God gets to define the good. You and I don't get to find a good because we will come up with circumstances, comfort, pleasure. Guys, no, no, I'll define the good, and my good is a whole lot gooder than your good. So here's the good. For those God foreknew, those that he knew that he was in relationship with ahead of time, he predetermined. What did he predetermine for them? That they would be conformed to the image of his son. friends, that is the good from verse 28 the good is not necessarily your comfort even though God gives a lot of that the good is not necessarily great circumstances even though God will occasionally give us those the good is not your pleasure the good is Christ like this that's the good and if we had half the wisdom that God had we would know that that is the good that we should be striving toward So, God says He takes those things that are bad things, they're really bad things, and He takes those good things that come from His grace, and He's working them all in our lives to conform us to the image of Jesus. That's the good. That's why 29 has to be connected with 28. Because if we stop with 28, you'll start to define the good. And when you define the good, you start treating God as if He's your assistant. And he's got to help you get to the good you want. And he said, wait a minute, read the next verse I put in there, right? The next verse is, I define the destination, and I'm working all this stuff in your life to conform you to the image of my son Jesus. Now, a couple of things we need to say about that. The word form has kind of an external focus, right? So if you think of, you've seen Transformers, right? They change form, but the inside is still the same right? So it's the same kind of character. He's just a car over here, and he's a robot over there, and he's flying around here. Different form, but the same kind of guy on the inside. That's not the word conform. The word conform is the internal change. So when you think about transformers, that's not the transformation that God's working in us. That'll one day happen. He's talking about the internal change. And so what is this Christ likeness thing? We will have the internal priorities, and values, and ethos of Jesus. That's what God's working in us. That's the good, the internal dynamic of the internal essence of Jesus. Priorities, values, strategies, loves, mission. That's what God's working in us. And he's taking all the bad stuff that happens and the good stuff that happens, and he's working it all together to produce that. That's a pretty good end, isn't it? That's a good, a whole lot gooder than any good you'd come up with. So let me uh, see if I can say it kind of like this Jesus did not suffer so you would never suffer. Jesus suffered so that when you suffer, you will become like him. And that's a whole lot better than never having, having suffering, isn't it? Jesus didn't suffer so we would never suffer. He suffered so that when we suffer, even that decay and that suffering and pain and trouble, trial, tribulation, all that kind of stuff, is actually working so that we would become like him. And let's be honest, even though we hate, I hate to admit it because I wonder what happened this week. It's often in the times of suffering and decay Weakness, frustration. That God has our attention a whole lot better, isn't it? I hate to say that because I I know I'm setting myself up to have God get my attention this week. (laughs) But isn't that, and so it's often in the suffering that God can do his best work because when things are going great, man, we're thinking about everything. God's like the last thing on our minds. But boy, all of a sudden, it troubles, trials, tribulation, we are riveted on God. So it's often when the heat's on that God can do his best work of transformation and change. Our good things last forever. How many of you uh, know the name John Newton? Any of you know John Newton? Now here's my guess. If you've ever heard the name John Newton, you probably think of Amazing Grace. John wrote that song. I like that song. Right? Amazing Grace, right? how sweet the sound. John Newton was also a pastor and before that he was a slave trader. So he would go to Africa, and he'd load the ship with people that were kidnapped, and he would sell them. God gets his attention, and coming out of that situation and realizing that the gospel can forgive even all that, he writes Amazing Grace, and before you look down your snooty nose at John, realize uh, your history's not a whole lot better than that one. But there's a quote that John Newton also made as a pastor that in some ways rivals Amazing Grace for me. Here's what Newton wrote. Everything is necessary that God sends. I don't care what it is. Everything is necessary that God sends. And here's the other half. Nothing can be necessary that he withholds. So you look back over this past week, 17 pages of a great sermon gone. You'll never hear that great sermon. You get this one instead. Everything that is necessary, God will send. Nothing can be necessary that He withholds. I mention that quote because I have it written in a, on a card in my desk. And I read that quote no less than four times from different commentators this week as I redid this sermon. Four times. I don't know about you, going through life, troubles, trials, tribulations, you kind of forget that stuff, right? It's good to remember. Everything is necessary that he sends. You may not think it is. Everything's necessary he sends. And nothing can be necessary that he withholds. Well, one last thing I want to mention. And that is the best is yet to come. Our two advocates, how can we have joy in the journey? Our two advocates are praying for us. God works our bad things out for the good. The good things last forever. And the best yet to come look at verse 30 here's how that chain gets continued and those he predestined he called those he called he justified those he justified he also glorified now if you're kind of a grammarian you probably say Charles you're a nightmare well anyway but if you're a grammarian you look at say okay all those make sense except that last word so who, what God predetermined, right, that we'd be conformed to Christ's image. Though, well, of course, that's beforehand and foreknowing, right? That's kind of before that works. And those he called, he called in the past. And those he justified, that's Romans 1 through 7. So that kind of makes sense. How in the world can he say glorified, past tense, when it's still future? Here's why. Because it is so certain in God's mind, it's a done deal. So even though our glorification still lies ahead, God says, it's all been predetermined. All that stuff's working for their good to conform them to Christ. I mean, that's exact, that transformation, that metamorphosis is at work, and my hand's involved, and the advocates are praying, that's what's going on. You know what? It is so sure to happen, I'm going to say glorified rather than glorify someday. And what's that mean? Well, it means we have a glorious inheritance And glorious freedom. I made a little list here of some things that lie ahead. We talked about that last week, so I'm not going to review that. I just kind of made a list. Things that kind of sync this up for me and maybe for you. You make your own list. Freedom from addiction of all kinds. Freedom from abuse and the pain that comes from. Freedom from misunderstanding. It's tough for people to understand, right? Freedom from sickness and illness. Gone forever. Freedom from disabilities. Freedom from infirmities. Freedom from habits. Freedom from sins. Freedom from death. Gone forever. That's the freedom. What's the inheritance part? It kind of goes like this. We are not second-class siblings to Jesus. We are heirs with Jesus. So remember back to those words that I lifted out of the text. Presently we experience suffering and we experience frustration and decay and pain and weakness. Remember that? that? That's what we live in now. Our glorious inheritance is suffering gone forever. Frustration, no, no more. Decay is reversed forever. Weakness, gone. Now we're strong. And in the midst of all that, We stand in the image of Jesus. I don't know about you. That's a whole lot better of a good than you and I could ever create. The promise of Romans 8 through 30 is not that you'll never have difficulties and pain in your life. The promise is, even when you go through those things, God superintends it all. And his plan, his loving, sovereign plan behind it all Is that you will be transformed into the image of his son. And if we knew just a fraction of what he knew, that would be the goal that we would have for our lives as well. Let's pray. Father, thanks for this reminder. My guess is that there weren't many new thoughts that we talked about today, but there were thoughts that we intentionally or unintentionally forget or put aside. Lord, we know what the pain, troubles, trials, tribulations is like. Help us, Lord, in the midst of them, and even when life is going well, to remember our two advocates are praying for us today. Therefore, we can have joy in the journey. Our bad things will work out for the good. Therefore, we can have joy in the journey. Our good things last forever because they come from your grace. Therefore, we can have joy in the journey. And the best is yet to come. Help us to be joyful and to celebrate along the way. We pray in the name of Jesus, our Advocate.